Good morning, church. You need to be a little more friendly because you're done before I'm ready up here. I was recently uh, hanging out with my brother-in-law. He, he's a professor at McMaster Divinity School at, in uh, Hamilton. And he asked me a very interesting question that got my mind going. He said, Jerry, when, besides being with the gathered community in church, when do you experience the presence of God? Can I ask you that same question today? Would you think about that for a second? When do you encounter God? I think sometimes we don't think deeply enough about some of this stuff. I answered him with a number of things that I won't say today, but one of them was this. Uh, I was recently in Punta Cana, and I was under the water. And I was swimming by reefs with beautiful, beautifully colored fish. And my soul got, my soul got stirred. And I worshiped God. And out of the corner of my eye in the sand, I saw a stingray, and so I dove down, got really close. And I watched him, and I marveled. We're doing a series called Encountering God in Everything. And today I want to talk about encountering God in nature in the created world. Before I go, I, I need to just bring a, a little exhortation to us and understand this, that the creation is no substitute for God. Creation has become idolized and worshipped in our day. People and humanity live in ditches. They destroy it and obliterate it, or they worship it. And God's Word gives us really clear direction that we're going to look upon today as to how do we hound it. We can actually encounter God in nature, in His creation. Some of you know this, don't you? If I were to, you know what, let's do this. Very quickly, for those of you who are new, we used to do this like almost every week. Turn to some people around you and just tell them, where did you in nature have you encountered God? Go for it. Just tell your neighbor. Talk about it. <clears throat>
You see, uh, I believe this, and the scripture will help us encourage us, that we can encounter God out of doors. He shows himself to humanity through his creation, and he speaks to people about his, his existence as they observe what they see. And for some Jesus followers, and I will concede, perhaps not for every follower of Jesus, you may not encounter God with the depth of worship underneath the water like I would. Some of you wouldn't. In his book, Sacred Pathways, Gary Thomas talks about how that each of us are, you know, have this sort of, um, this, this bench to how we connect with God or we encounter him. And some of us do it very naturally in different ways. Some of our series are going to talk about some of these things. Some people, they encounter God actually intellectually as they ponder concepts and read and they study and they just, it just leads them to a sense of the encounter of God. For others, it happens through nature and creation. Uh, other people, it happens through music and all different kinds. I mean, there's different ways. His book outlines at least nine. There's probably at least more than that. Today, we want to focus on one of them. And if this is not your particular bent, please listen so that you can understand those to whom it's very important. But also, it doesn't mean that we neglect all the other pathways ever. It means that those are the natural ways we most quickly connect with God. And to round out our 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 experience of following God, we need, we need to stretch ourselves in various areas. If you take this as a law, then that means that some of you would never open your word. You would just try to experience them outside somehow. So just with that disclaimer, uh, let's really get after this. First, I want to establish where we're going with some deep-rooted, very important pillars of Scripture. The first one, you might have guessed, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At the very beginning of the universe, God. It wasn't that there was nothing. There was God. And then God, the initial originating cause of all things, spoke and things happened. We're not given a lot of information as to how it happened. That wasn't actually the intent of the scripture in those particular passages, in these ones. The aim, the main focus and the purpose of Genesis 1-1 is to focus on who not how. And that who is God. Whatever happened, this I know, God spoke and something happened. Whether it appeared or he spoke and whether there was a bang, a boom, we're going to talk about that in a moment. Know this, that the scripture tells us that there was a God, immense. All there was was God. There wasn't nothing. There was God. 
and God spoke and things happened. It's who? God. God the Father, the the triune God. God the Father, the originating cause, like the designer and the architect. God the Son, the instrumental cause, the one through whom the actual building took place. And God the Holy Spirit, the dynamic cause, the one who infused it with life and vitality. In the beginning, God. He spoke and things came into existence. Things began to happen. And he created the heavens and the earth. This is code for everything that was at that time. God spoke and he created everything. Now this straightforward statement declares profound truth in many, many ways. And you have to remember that sometimes the scripture is written for very important purposes. Genesis 1 is told again in John chapter 1, and he was addressing a, ver- a heresy that was already taking place in those days. We see its various forms today, but let me just unpack a very quickly a few things. This statement declares that there is a distinction between God and the creation. God is sovereign above it. He is completely other than what is created. Because we see that in certain religious or worldviews that everything is God. But God is distinct from his creation. He's different from it. It declares that the physical realm is good and holy because there's beliefs that says that anything spiritual is all that matters. What's physical sometimes is evil or it doesn't matter. And so, so long as you're cultivating your spiritual relationship, it doesn't matter what you do to or with your body. It doesn't matter what you do to or with the earth. It declares that God is preexistent. We already talked about that. It declares that God created something. There was nothing there except him, and he spoke. Now, I've, I ask a question. Some of you in this room might even be struggling with this. But let me ask you this very simple question. Does it make more sense, and does it take more faith to say nothing created something out of nothing? Or God created something? It declares that the origin of the universe, the world, and especially human beings came from a personal, holy, other, moral, and loving source. We are the loved creation of a loving, holy creator. Every person in this room sitting here today, I don't know what you think about yourself. I don't know what your struggle is. You are not an animal. You are not some chance happening. You are the creation of a loving father. And you have been endowed with wealth and uh, honor or worth, I mean. Worth. Let's move. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaimed his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. You know, I was sitting with my brother-in-law out on the prairies. We were in this wooded area near their house, 
We were sitting watching, having a campfire. Everyone else went to bed. Garth and I stayed out late. I can't wait until the fire is just nothing left. It's a sin to take water and douse burning fire. You got to wait till it's all done, and then you spread the coals and they glow. Looks like a city from an airplane. And we did that. The fire was growing cold. We got out and we were walking across the farmyard back to the house, and all of a sudden we both stopped. And I was utterly arrested because almost at the same time we looked up. And in the darkness of the prairies, far from any city or town or lights, I was utterly arrested by what I saw. And the heavens were declaring the glory of God. And where the Milky Way just looks a little milky around here, it was brilliant. And my first words were a song that I used to sing as a kid at camp, In the Stars is Handiwork I See. The more we discover in our universe, the more reason we have to stand in awe and praise God. The heavens are declaring, proclaiming, pouring out, revealing the glory, handiwork, voice, and knowledge of God. Hebrews 13, though, this tells us something that we have to believe this by faith. It's a faith statement. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. Friends, Matter is not eternal, and then somehow that God took matter or it just happened to change. It came out of the very being of God, things that were not visible, and suddenly became visible somehow through whatever process he chose. He spoke and things came. Some of you may have rejected God, gone to university or whatever, and silently you've rejected God perhaps because you thought that the only way you could be a Christian was to believe than a six-day literal creation. Of how origins started, and you focused on the how, not the who. Now, I have a personal belief and conviction about that. But I want to say that there are brilliant Christian, Christ-following scientists in this world. And even in their, all of their study of science and the universe, it actually draws them towards God in utter faith and wonderment. If you chucked your faith because of that, I would encourage you to rethink some of that. There are some phenomenal books you could read about that. Perhaps you thought there was no room if there was a big bang. But what if God spoke and out of nothing, as I said before, nothing that was already there, we see this boom. And what if actually that was not chaotic? What if that, even that explosion, was completely controlled and under the sovereign, guiding God of the universe? Purposeful. Would you believe Romans chapter 1 tells us, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In this context, he's talking about people who, they're suppressing the truth of God. 
See, God reveals and shows himself to humanity. Tob Schreiner says, God has stitched into the fact fabric of human mind and his existence and power so that they are instinctively they are instinctively recognized when one views the created world you see the visible things of the world point to an invisible creator who possesses eternal power and of divine nature and human beings who have been wired up to know him and to believe in him so that when they observe nature, the theater of God's glory, they instinctively know something about God or a supreme being. That's the way God has wired it. I'm going to come back to this passage in a second. Just Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and, underline this, for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The focal point, friends, of all of the creation, the purpose for it, and for our existence is Christ. Life is not about you, and it's not about me. Life is about Christ and his purposes. And this is a fundamental question his followers must wrestle to the ground. Have you? Or is life fundamentally about you and you add a little Christianity to your own life and you are in control and you are the center? Christ's followers settled this question because the one we follow settled it. In the heavenly realm, Hebrews gives us a glimpse and he tells us, you have prepared a body for me and I have come to do your will, Jesus said to the Father. In the garden, he bowed and sweat drops of blood and he says, not my will, but yours be done. And that is the prayer and the call of every Christ follower. Life is about him, it's not about us. And you must settle that question. For if you don't, Every command of Scripture will be a fight. Life is about Him. Now, what we see through creation, very quickly, you guys want to learn a little theology this morning? I see the enthusiasm in the room. Because <laughs> here's the thing you're all theologians. The question is, are you going to be a good one or a bad one, an ignorant one or a smart one? You're all theologians. Theologians is about the study of God. Theologians call this what God shows through all of creation, call it general revelation or universal revelation. Some call it natural revelation. General revelation, this is this inherent knowledge that God has hardwired into our being. It's innate to humanity. There's a sense of the divine or an inherent awareness of a supreme being that somehow connects with human existence. Then there's a derived knowledge of God, general revelation that comes through what is observed in nature. We see it in the creation, and it's inferred from the immensity as we see the creation, or the design and the order that we see within it, or the beauty of it. 
then there is implied knowledge of God that comes from our conscience. We read in Romans chapter 2.15 that that God's law is actually written on the human heart. The requirements of the law are written on the heart. Their conscience is also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them or defending them. You see, if there is such a thing as a moral law that is built into our conscience, then there must be a moral lawgiver. It came from somewhere. And this part of this generation is that is part of the character, the moral first cause. So this is given to every person. Now, they can suppress that. Their conscience can get seared with repeated, you know, rejection of God. But this is what's happening in Romans 1. Remember he said he's shown them and it's, it's clearly seen. Now we come to the second verse of that passage. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Every one of us, every human being on the planet, according to the scripture, is without excuse before holy God. Number one, He has revealed himself in nature, that he exists. He's hardwired us. And he's written his law on our hearts. Now, general revelation will not save a person. It doesn't make you connected with God. It leads you to bring to your awareness of him. And then we need special revelation, what they call special revelation. That is in Jesus Christ, as it is... uh, you know, made real through the Word of God for us. So, this special revelation brings us into connection with God through Christ. Does this make sense to you? Good. Excellent. Excellent. Creation, nature, is the theater of God's glory. God's glory is revealed in this theater. His intent is that people would further seek him and come into relationship with him as reveals himself, secondly, through Christ in the word, that special revelation. Nature is God's theater. So how we believe, how do we encounter God in nature very quickly because I want to end with one more thing after that. Very quickly, uh, First, we believe. We talked about this. We have faith in and trust. Luther said this, only the eye of faith, it's only through the eye of faith that we can see the miracles all through nature. You've got to believe there's a God that he's revealed himself. Second thing is we perceive it. Now, we we believe that, and then as we observe, get out of doors, friends. Look, listen, observe, reflect upon, perceive what God is revealing. We look at the greatness of creation When we perceive that, it can lead us to getting a sense of the power of God. When we perceive the the variety and the diversity of creation, it reveals his creativity. We look at the the, uh, design and order, and it talks about his wisdom and his incredible intelligence. We look at how creation is provided for, and we see God's goodness and his care. We see color and shapes in creation. It reminds us of God's beauty. 
We see mountains and it reveals God's strength and his majesty. You must perceive it, think about it, ponder it, consider what you're seeing. Here's the third thing, then receive. You receive God good, God's goodness by his Holy Spirit through what you're seeing as he communicates to you. You receive as you're in nature things like peace and rest. There's something about sitting at the edge of a body of water or a river or a brook. There's something about sitting looking over the mountains that does something to your soul. You receive the emotional refreshment and joy that will enliven you and the spiritual inspiration and the connection with God as you slow down and connect with him through what you see. Does that make sense? So then how do we respond to that? And this is what I want most of your followers of Christ in the room. And so I would say to you that we respond to what we see as we encounter God in nature. First, we respond with awesome wonder, the sense of amazement, awe, to marvel, to see something and say, wah. See, Hyundai doesn't make wah. God makes wah. Wow. Eugene Peterson says this, no matter how much we travel through, throughout creation, no matter how many pictures we take of its flowers, mountains, lakes, creatures, no matter how much knowledge we acquire, if we fail to cultivate wonder, we risk missing the very heart of what's going on in creation. When was the last time you've been wowed by creation? Get out there. Go for a walk. Look at pictures. Do something. Stand and look at the stars. I might have to drive out of town a bit. But just like, get out there, friends. When you think about the beauty, you think about the miracle of birth, you think about the wow of how blood clots. Like you think there are so many things that can just blow our minds about what God has made and how he's made it. And let it fill you with wonder. Wonder must be cultivated. You've got to slow down. You've got to go walk. You know how much stuff you don't notice when you're driving or ripping around? Walk. Look. Listen. Smell. Observe. And then consider. And may it lead you to awesome wonder. You can encounter God by just like seeing this and go, wow, God. Second way we respond is through reverent praise. Not just getting blown away, but then turning that into reverent, reverential praise. We sense the greatness and the majesty. He's the almighty creator. He's completely other and distinct. And our attitude towards God is one of reverence, evoking worship from within us. I woke up one morning, I was in Nepal. We got in there that night into Kathmandu and we stayed in our hotel. And uh, I got up in the morning, went out onto the balcony of my hotel, our hotel and we're having, uh, I was having devotions out there. And then off in the distance, things began to come as the sun came up and I couldn't believe it. And I know it's hard to see from here. It was more wah than what you're seeing, but 
we got in the day before, we never saw that, and I'm having devotions, and I look up, and all of a sudden, I see this mountain peak way back. And I just went, wow. God. I was astounded, and I started to praise him. Awesome wonder, reverent praise. The psalmist put it this way, King David said, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. He was worshiping. He let it come out in praise. In Revelation, the apostle John says, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. It evoked praise. Or the hymn writer, O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and feel hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great. Friends, we, we, are, we just get filled with wonder. Look, observe, and just let it grip you and then turn it into praise somehow. And lastly, respond with humble gratitude. Thank him. Do you know this? I started this when I was younger. This is an honest fact. Every time I see some neat wildlife or something like that, after being enthralled with it, I always end this way. Thank you, God. Thank you for this creation. Thank you for showing yourself. Thank you what you've made. Thanks for letting me see this. Humble gratitude. As we observe the incredible and ponder the magnificence, we do so, it brings us with a sense of humility, doesn't it? If you struggle with humility, go out on a very dark night, beautiful starlit, lay down on the ground and just stare at the stars for 15 minutes and don't say anything. It'll humble you. That's what the psalmist said. He went on in chapter 8, and he said this, When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've set in place, here's humility. What is man? What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? He went on Psalm 139, he said, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. And to to anchor it in the opposite, you know what Paul says when he goes on in that Romans 1 passage? He says this, for although they knew God from what they saw, they did not honor him as God or what? Give thanks. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Friends, 
If you don't honor God as our creator, if we don't worship him and have a humble spirit, we will not, we'll grow cold in our grace and our thanksgiving to him. I respond with wonder, praise, and gratitude. Friends, the existence and wonder and worthiness of God are broadcast daily for all of us to see if we simply step outside, open our minds and our hearts to his self-revelation, and we can encounter God through the wonder of his creation in nature. I encourage you to do so. Let's pray.